Welcome to another edition of the D1 Sports Medicine Podcast. This week we sat down with Ryan McGlawn of University of Mississippi Medical Center to discuss uh, transitioning from clinical practice to academia, as well as how to better prepare physical therapy students for clinical practice. Today we're joined by Ryan McGlawn of UMC in Jackson, Mississippi. We're going to talk a little bit on um, kind of the transition from clinical practice to academia as well as kind of seeing students um, and progressing them to clinical affiliations and then on out into the workforce. Ryan, why don't you introduce yourself, tell a little bit about uh, your history and kind of what you're up to now. Sure. Uh, hey, Ryan. Um, again, my name is Ryan McGlynn. Uh I am an um, assistant professor in the School of Physical Therapy uh, at UMC. Uh, I graduated from that program in 2006. Uh, with a master's in PT, then went back and got my uh, transitional doctorate degree in 2008. Since then, um, I became board certified in orthopedics, certified in the McKinsey method, and then here recently certified in dry needling. And my path went from seven and a half years in the clinic from 2006 to 2013 and I then made the transition to uh, an assistant professor in the PT school. All right. Kind of talk a little bit about that. What's, you know, for those, that, I guess, listen, don't know, I was one of your students as well. You're my clinical instructor. Kind of talk the biggest thing um, about transitioning from daily practice to academia, kind of the biggest difference and the thing you had to get used to the most. Yeah, sure. So, as you know, in the outpatient world, you know who your patients are. They're scheduled at certain time intervals. You you have that daily schedule. You know when you're going to go to lunch, when potentially you're going to get off work, and at five o'clock or six o'clock, whenever your daily schedule is done, then you go home. Well, in academia, you build your schedule. So um, you have courses and other responsibilities that you have to get done, and you schedule that based on what you need to do that day. And that can last hours uh, from 8 to 5, or it can uh, last beyond 5 o'clock. You may be doing stuff at home, um, and you your daily lunch schedule may vary per day, depends on what your uh, activities during the work day is like. So um, your class may be, you know, an hour this day and an hour another day, or you may have several classes over the week. Um, so there's a little bit more flexibility uh, within that schedule in academia than versus in the clinic. But um, the big change was academia, your work may not leave uh, or stop when you're done. Um, so I may be at home grading papers, um, posting grades, answering emails from students, uh, whereas in the clinic, at 5 or 6 o'clock, I was done and I could go home. Okay. Um, talk a little bit, obviously, as, as PTs, we try and teach our patients. Talk about the biggest change in, I guess, teaching um, and educating on a diagnosis or a condition versus teaching subject material. And how how you had to kind of switch gears from that, or is it a change? Well, yeah, um, I didn't. I don't think it's 
a big change. I think you're right. We we teach patients based on, you know, kind of educating them on what they what their condition or diagnosis is, and we educate them on the the rehab process and what our goals are. We discuss that with them individually and set a treatment plan. And so uh, we educate them from a patient standpoint all the time with that. Students come in and they're very motivated. They're um, uh, they're eager to learn. And so we have to now take that education level up a little bit higher level and not only just tell them, okay, this is your disease or this is your diagnosis and this is your treatment plan. And instead of giving them an elementary education, we now have to take it and look at the physiology behind it, the pathophysiology, the uh, kinesiology, the anatomy, and we have to put all that into place to figure out, okay, this is the disease process, this is our treatment plan, this is why we're doing what we're doing. And now this is also how we can educate a, a patient. So it goes in a little bit more detail um, than with your patients, but um, I think it's about the same in the sense that you're still educating someone. Um, and most of your patients are eager to, to listen, to learn what you have to say. And you also see that with the students as well. I gotcha. Was that, was that a big change kind of going from, I guess, taking one aspect from a, Hey, here's an exercise or here's a movement pattern we want to improve upon to linking all of that together for a student. So including your anatomy, including your, um, ex-phys, including your you know, biomechanics, uh, as far as lectures go and, and tying that all into one? It, it can be quite difficult and stressful and time-consuming when you're preparing a lecture in a lab-based class to get all that in within a certain time frame right. and to be able to reach not only your high-performing students but your lower-level performing students and making sure everyone's on the same page. So it can be very difficult. Um, and it's a learning process for, for any person that's in academia. Um, and I am getting better. This is going into my fourth year as an assistant professor. And I have definitely grown within teaching methods and how am I reaching uh, the class of 50 versus one person. Right. I got you. With, uh what has changed the most? Uh, you finished, I think you said 2006, and then I was uh, about five years behind you. What's the biggest change in the past you know, five, 10 years from the school itself? I also graduated UMC as well. So what's the biggest change uh, outside of kind of, I guess, current evidence-based stuff that's kind of driving the field in general? What's the biggest change either from curriculum or from now being on the other side? What's the biggest difference for you? Um, from a, just an overall curriculum standpoint, academic standpoint, there, there are some changes in uh, moving away from just your standard lecture-based style teaching method. Uh, there's, there's some research uh, out there on more of the team-based or problem-based learning, um, and that's built out throughout the curriculum. Um, and so instead of just having this one class and this one class and they're both lectures, uh, the classes are not necessarily combined, but you may have a case study, and that case study kind of follows you uh, throughout each class, and you're paired up with groups um, uh, in the class, and you go through and work that case study 
and then your the teachers or clinical pro, uh, professors, adjunct professors may be also in the class to help steer you along and get your thought processes done mm -hmm. correctly. And so I think that's that's kind of a shift that's occurring um, is from that traditional lecture style to more of a team-based, problem-based learning style. And so I think that's big. Um, another one from a curriculum academic standpoint is technology being used within the, the classroom settings. Um, now, nowadays, every student has laptops, tablets, iPhones, or smartphones that can access anything while you're lecturing. Uh, can video record things, they can take pictures on their phones. And so that's definitely changed since I've been in uh, PT school, where most people still had, um, you know, flip phones, or maybe they had a Blackberry or something. But right. uh, that that's a that's a big shift uh, that we're seeing more of the students having. Um, and so from just the content far as, you know, what are we seeing, I think, from a content standpoint from our program is when I went through school, we didn't have a lot of manual based type stuff within the program. Um, and that has changed significantly. Now we, there's a, a class that's dedicated to spine rehab, you know, that deals a lot with mobilizations, manipulations and stuff in the class. And then we've also integrated more, manual techniques such as MFR and um, joint peripheral joint mobilizations within the other orthopedic class we have. So uh, that's one of the big shifts that we have. We have more, a uh, uh, little bit more research uh, within our program than we did when I was in the, the, the program. Um, we spend more time within the neuro aspects of the curriculum. Uh, giving them more time dealing with uh, learning about spinal cord injuries, brain injuries, strokes, and, and those things than when I went through the program. Um, so I, I think some of that's probably the, the biggest change as far as content related that we're, that we're doing at UMC. Yeah, that's changed even since I was there with the manual, um, integrating more manual. Um, I'm glad to hear that as well. I felt like coming out, that was something that I could have been stronger and still do. Um, and that continue to work on, you know, you know, after the fact um, through courses and certifications and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, kind of tying the two together, you still treat as well, is that correct? Uh, I do as much as possible. Uh, I treat um, at, at UMC um, based on just people calling me or emailing me uh, that maybe were former patients or maybe someone uh, refer them to me. And so I'll, I'll treat them, uh, just kind of based on that. Um, also within, we have a sports residency program at UMC and I'll, I will get treatment within that while mentoring the sports resident. So, um, I stay pretty involved within clinical practice that way. Okay. How do you feel since switching over to academia? How do you feel, um, that has affected, your clinical practice you feel more competent you feel like you see it from a different light now or, or do you feel like it's still similar as when you practiced uh for six seven years um i i think the 
the overall process has, or the thought process of examining or treating someone's gotten, gotten better since I've gone into academics. I think now I've spent so much time focusing on what literature says and staying up to date more that that's probably affected my thought process, my clinical skills and treatment of a patient, knowing mm -hmm. that they maybe get a little bit better with certain treatments versus before I may not have quite enough time to do a lot of that research. So I was relying on the clinicians maybe around me uh, to, to give me an insight of what works and what doesn't work. Um, so I think now I'm, I'm seeing some better results just because I think my research uh, on the particular diagnosis or um, impairments that I'm seeing has gotten better. Yeah, along those lines, is there anything uh, coming down the pipe or I guess gaining steam in the field of the profession that, uh, that uh, is more cutting edge that you're excited to see kind of where it goes? Um, you know, from a manual standpoint, I think more research is coming out on just your, your effects of mobilizations, manipulations, whether it be of the spine or peripheral joints. And I think it's pretty well documented is that manual therapy combined with some type of exercise, stretching, strengthening type stuff has been uh, shown to be significantly better uh, versus just your standalone exercise or, or modalities. Um, and I, I think that's just going to be reinforced uh, as we move forward. Uh, there are definitely other techniques that have obviously come out uh, and are gaining research and gaining uh, some evidence, uh, such as um, some of your MFR techniques, uh, your uh, instrument-assisted mobilization type techniques. Mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're gaining ground, um, and we're seeing more clinicians using those uh, and seeing results. Um, dry needling being one of those. Um, those areas are growing and we're seeing some research come out in those. Um, it's still going to be some time before it really is out there, but some early evidence really does point to some of that being very effective in, in relieving certain conditions. Yeah, I think from the clinical side, for me, that's one of the things that um, I've used more of and found more positive outcomes with is instrument-assisted um, and just hands-on in general um, from a patient satisfaction, from an outcome satisfaction. Um, and I try and read as much as I can on those as well. But um, like you said, find the times, uh, tricky at times, but um, doing it because it's something I enjoy reading up on. Um, kind of switching gears a little bit, touching a little bit on the student side. Um, having had students as a, as a CI and then a clinical instructor and then now being more the uh, professor side, how do you feel or what do you feel we in the clinical side could do better to prepare students? Um, do you feel like there's an area that um, you still notice or would like to see them more competent in or um, you see something that uh, we're doing well? Yeah, so I mean, I think overall, uh, the clinical instructors are, are doing very well. Um, I would just always encourage if you're stepping into the role of clinical instructor, realize that you are an adjunct within the curriculum um, and not just to use your student as another set of hands to 
um, get more patients in the clinic and, and so forth. Because we, we do hear of students when they come back saying, well, I didn't spend much time with my CI that much every week. I basically had my list of 10 patients or whatever, and I went and saw them, and then I wrote my notes, and he or she read my notes and signed off on them. And, mm-hmm. and, to, and that's not a, a, probably a, a great clinical instructor there. Um, we, we do know, I mean, out there overall, clinical instructors do spend time with them. And so that, that weekly meeting with your student to discuss weekly goals, your patients that week, what do you want to do this week that you may need to work on? So some areas of improvement um, or, or just meet with the students like, and tell them that how well they're doing in certain areas. I think it's very important to have the confidence of the student in those areas uh, as well. Um, you know, I, I do know of clinical instructors to uh, have learning modules and go through joints or diagnoses with the students. And, and really and truly that is a great um, link between academics and the clinic is doing some type of learning module. And it doesn't have to be in depth, but spending a little time learning about a certain diagnosis or certain impairment and how to go about to treat it based on evidence that's out there and discuss those journal articles and, and so forth with the student and perfect their um, psychomotor skills and performing special tests or performing uh, clinical um, interventions. I think that's one of the big things too is, and that's what uh, the past couple I've had, we try and I, I had two CIs, you and then one other that also did it as well, kind of a, a weekly joint review, whether that's special test or just measuring range of motion. Um, and I've kind of modified it now into, Hey, this is ankle week. You, you need, what do you feel comfortable with? What do you not feel comfortable with? Um, you know, if they come back, well, I feel pretty good with most everything. Okay, well, here I am. Here's my injury. I, you know, I sprained my ankle two days ago. Take me to an eval um, and, and make them get hands on because myself included, it's so easy to kind of say, oh, yeah, I feel comfortable with this test, that test. And then you start actually trying to put hands on and, and they get turned around at times and they get a little more confused. Um, and, you know, maybe they're right handed. They practice allotments with their right hand every time and they go to do it left handed and they're, they just don't get the right feel. Um, and I think a lot of it's just getting that muscle memory, like you said, doing it over and over and over again um, until you get comfortable. And where, where I'm located, we're fortunate we have a, a young population, but we also have a training facility attached. And a lot of times patients will come in, younger kids, and, you know, hey, I tweaked my ankle. I say, hey, look, here's your, here's your patient go. You know, there's a great chance to run through all your special tests. Go ahead and hit the ankle, hit the knee, get a hands-on feel, and um, – there's no excuse when you leave here that you shouldn't feel comfortable, not from a book standpoint, but practical. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. it doesn't do any good if you know the book knowledge and you can't apply it. Um, but then you're going to be in trouble when you get in the clinic. Um, yeah. Just from a comfort standpoint. Um, and patients can see that too. Patients can tell when, when they are and aren't comfortable. Um, yeah. I always yeah. tell them, know what you know, know what you don't know. And if you don't know it, ask me and let's go over it. And if you do, let me see it. Um, exactly. Show it to me, feel comfortable. Exactly. Um, I guess to uh, what's something with uh, the students that um, kind of gets on your nerves? You feel, um, you feel good disclosing that. Yeah. So, I mean, and this was surprising to me. We all have those patients in the clinic that we, we struggle with uh, personality wise or, you know, that person that 
really doesn't want to go back to work. They're in there because they have to. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so we fight with those patients in the clinic, trying to get them better, trying to get them to be on our side so they will do their home exercise program because they're not doing it at home. Um, those, those same personalities exist in academics. Um, and, it, and it's just not in PT school. It's, it's throughout, you know, academics. And um, so you, you, you want the best for everyone. And you're going to have people in, in the class that, um, while in lab, they may be on their cell phone, texting, or, you know, searching the internet, you know, on their, you know, responding to emails while they should be in class. Uh, paying attention to what's being done, taking notes, asking questions. And so that, that becomes very frustrating um, that I think as teachers we struggle with because we want their attention. You know, we're, we're not there uh, just to, just because we have to be there. We're trying to instill um, clinical um, expertise within them. And so uh, that, that's one big thing. Just those personalities are still there as they are in clinic that you have to, really work at and um, try to get them to, to do their work. Uh, professionalism, showing up on time, you know, I'm big on that. You know, our class starts here, I expect you to be here at this time. And um, Something I, I never understood uh, from my time in school, it's like you are in a voluntary, professional, you know, degree program. It's not undergrad college, you know, where everybody goes and you just get a degree kind of thing. It's like, you voluntarily applied and got in and then you don't want to come to class. You know, I, I never understood that. And so you're, you're paying a lot of money to, uh, to come and this is a, a skill you're going to need. Um, right. you know, nobody's going to bail you out and eat in the clinic. I, I never understood that, but, uh, it's good to see it still, still goes on. Uh, yeah, it, well. it still goes on. And, and mo- most of their students are fresh out of undergraduate school. So, they're used to that flexibility of not having to go to class some and right. or if they are not coming to class, they won't call and tell the teachers and stuff. And so we, we try to instill in our students, if you're not going to be in class for whatever reason, give us a heads up. You know, we, we want to know where you're at. Uh, we care about you, not just for the sake of getting you through the program and graduating, but also as a, as an overall person, we want you to be healthy and succeed in this program. And so if, if you're sick or you're, you have a, uh, something, you know, personally that's going on, you know, death in the family or something you're going to miss, let us know so we know where you're at. Um, I think that's just that professionalism, building in that professionalism within a student. You know, most of them you know, are young, undergraduate, 22, 23 years old. And so they haven't had that responsibility yet. And so I think, uh, we're, we're trying to instill and be mentors, role models, um, teachers to as they come into our profession. So they're ready to be in clinic uh, and act professionally. Yeah, and I, I, I include myself in that. I, that was the biggest, I say, I don't want to say culture shock, but the biggest change. You know, you go from undergrad, you know, where you may study the night before for a test, but then bam, hey, you're two weeks after graduation, you're in anatomy. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, a week's full of lectures may have been a semester in, in, in college, right. um, depending on, you know, where you went and whatnot. But that I was just as guilty. You know, I'll study later. I'll study later. And next thing you know, you've got three or four days and um, it's tough to catch up. It's tough to switch gears and switch that mindset of right. studying night before to studying daily. Right. Right. 
Well, good deal, man. Any other questions uh, for me or for us? Anything else you want to kind of put out there? Well, I, I would say if you're a PT working in a clinic and you want to potentially get into academics um, as something that we mentioned already, being good clinical instructors, go ahead and start working on being good clinical instructors. Get involved, if you can, with the residency program. I think that's a great way to start mentoring and um, teaching um, PTs within a clinic, but also teaching them within didactically uh, in learning modules within our residency. And then also another way, if you are interested in academics, if you're near a PT program or PTA program for that matter, um, is that contact that school and see if they need ever need a, a volunteer assistant within lab or lecture and offer your services and, and get the feel there of standing in front of 50, 60 students and teaching or doing a, a lab with them and see if that's something that you are interested in. And uh, if so, then start pursuing the academic world, um, maybe looking at getting a PhD or, or something from an academic standpoint and uh, get involved. Very good. Very good. Appreciate the time. Um, thank you very much and look forward to catching up with you in the future. All right. Thank you, Ryan. Hi, man. If anybody has any questions for us about today's podcast, please feel free to contact me in my email. That is ryan.hewling at d1sportstraining.com, R-Y-A-N dot H-U-L-I-N-G at d1sportstraining.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at d1sportsmedicine and Twitter as well at d1sportsmedicine without the E. Until next time, take care.